And I'm here with Oscar Trimboli, and we are learning all about deep listening, the five levels of listening, and what Oscar would have engraved on his tombstone. Do you have anything to add, Oscar? I think the one thing I'll have engraved on my tombstone is something you can listen out for in the episode. But after recording this, I love the fact that Brian is going to listen much, 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 much more to what's not said. Sounds like a complete ninja move. Listen out for it in the episode. Subscribe here. I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9-to-5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Welcome to Lead with Impact. I am Brian, and hey, I am so glad that you are here. And I think we have a great conversation ahead of us today. We are going to be speaking to Oscar Trimboli. Oscar is someone that I've wanted to talk to on the podcast for a long time because I knew that he would bring value to you with his experience and his knowledge. I just know that he has a lot to share with us. Oscar is a mentor, leadership coach, speaker, and author. And we are going to be speaking to Oscar today from his home in Australia. And he has had an amazing career in technology, working for companies like PeopleSoft, Polycom, and Vodafone, and Microsoft. While at Microsoft, he was part of their High Potential program, and later went on to develop a program known as Microsoft Protégé. And afterwards, he has coached, mentored, and advised people in all kinds of roles from business founders to CEOs, CFOs, COOs, all the C-suite people he's worked with him, and even marathon runners and people who have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. So he has coached everybody. And on top of that, he is an expert in listening. So that is what we really are going to focus on today. He talks about deep listening. Now, we all know about active listening, but deep listening is a little bit different. So we're going to get into that and see how you and I can start to be deep listeners. So without any further ado, let's get to it and meet Oscar Trimboli. Thank you so much for being with us, Oscar. Brian, I'm really looking forward to listening to your questions. And I'm looking forward to listening to you and hearing your knowledge that you're going to share with us. Before we get to that, though, maybe you can give us an overview on how you help people. Yeah, I spent all day on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world, but every day uh, you're not speaking to millions of people. And I do a range of things. I work with corporate organizations to help executives and people leaders to listen to what their 
staff and their customers aren't saying to them, one of the most potent things we can learn about listening is listening to what's unsaid. And I do that in a range of training programs, executive mentoring programs, and also I get invited to speak to large groups, either inside corporates, company meetings, sales, kickoffs, uh, people manager community meetings, but also in public forums as well. I just recently spoke to a community of practice. I didn't realise there was such a thing for facilitators in Australia. So one of the things they do every day is, is help people to listen to each other. But uh, for their own professional development, they wanted a, a listening expert to help them listen better. So uh, when I'm not doing that, uh, I'm writing books and uh, talking to people like you, Brian, on podcasts about spreading the importance of listening around the world. And on the weekends, my wife and I, we run in winter and swim in summer for a charity we're involved in. And uh, we've been doing that for 11 years straight. And uh, swimming in the ocean in Australia, there's all sorts of things in that ocean that can <laughs> kind of make uh, swimming a little bit interesting, shall we say. That sounds a bit scary. And I would love to get a chance to talk to you about that because I've always heard there's lots of things in Australia that, Australia that can kill you. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what I've always heard. Yeah, we have, uh, I think, of the five most venomous snakes in the world, we have four, and uh, the one of them swims in the ocean. So, you know, sharks uh, don't necessarily you have to worry about. We have this running joke here. Uh, the good news about the shark is they'll kill you pretty quickly. It's the, it's the blue bottles that sting you with their venom or the sea snakes that uh, bite you that uh, make for a slower, painful death. So I'd rather have a funeral story that I got taken by a shark than he died in the water after getting bit <laughs> by a snake. <laughs> I think if it was me, I may be looking for a new hobby, but that's just me. It's probably why I don't qualify to live in Australia. Um, I would love to talk about how you got to this point. How does one become a listening expert? Uh, look, it's definitely not a straight path. It wasn't something I sat down with my career advisor at the end of high school and kind of went, yeah, there's a job called a listening expert. And uh, in, in hindsight, there are kind of three things, Brian, that kind of pointed me in this direction. Number one, I went to a school with 23 different nationalities, um, migrants fleeing war-torn Southeast Asia, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos, migrants fleeing wars and civil wars in South America from, from Brazil, from Argentina, from Uruguay, from Chile, and also people fleeing... Um, Eastern Europe, as the Soviet Union was uh, still uh, an empire at that time. And um, one of the things I'm not good at, Brian, I have this thing called dyscalculus, which means I'm dyslexic when it comes to numbers. And we always had card games at school, and everybody wanted me on their team, but I couldn't count cards. So I wasn't sure why they wanted me on their team. I only discovered this fatal flaw when I went into a career in accounting. It's kind of made my career about six months long. <laughs> but I could always listen to what the facial expressions were of the people who were playing cards against. So we'd play cards in teams of four, two against each other, diagonally opposite. And because we had all these different nationalities, they were playing cards and talking to each other in their home language, whether that was 
Vietnamese, whether that was Polish, and I couldn't speak only English, but I was really good at reading their body language. So that was the first time in hindsight I realized I had a little bit of a head start when it came to listening. I also was uh, part of a meeting. Uh, I spent 11 years as a marketing director at Microsoft in Australia. I was part of a meeting between the three S's. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of video conferencing, Seattle, Singapore, and Sydney. And in that video conference, there was a negotiation going on, and it was a budget negotiation. It was really heated. And you can imagine video conferences, software doesn't always work or there's a lag and people get frustrated. Anyway, at the end of this three-hour negotiation, my local vice president said to me, Oscar, can you stay behind? And I thought, hmm, how much money have I got in the bank account? And if I was to get sacked right now, how long would it last? Anyway, Tracy said to me, you did something that you probably didn't even notice you did at the 20 minute mark of the meeting, you completely changed the trajectory of the room. And I said, you mean this room or all the rooms? She said, no, you know, all the, all the rooms across Seattle and, and Singapore as well. And I said, oh, what did you do? And she said, well, you, you were listening and you asked that question. And the question was, what assumptions are we holding on to? Because head office wanted us to take more budget and Australia wanted less budget and Singapore was trying to be Switzerland and brokering a peaceful outcome. But from that point on, as Tracy's reflection, she said to me, you changed the trajectory of the meeting and it became more productive as a result. Thank you. Can you do that more often? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And she says, I don't think you understand what I just said. And I said, "Mm, probably not. And she said, if you could code what you do, you could change the world. And I said, I I, kind of had this scrunched up look on my face, Brian, because I was confused. All I could say was, do you mean code, code or code? Because we were at Microsoft, code meant put it into software. Right. And she said, no, Oscar, I think you could code it. Anyway, I walked away from that conversation never thinking anything of it until six weeks later when Brian, our chief financial officer, and I were part of a meeting where the opposite was taking place. We were the head office and we were working with our field sales organization to negotiate the budgets they would accept from us and the we were in the opposite power position and the same thing took place. I almost made the same reflection, almost at the same point in the meeting. And Brian came to me at the end of the meeting and he says, for the next nine months, I need you to teach me how to listen. And that's how the journey started. From that point on, as a series of twists and turns, But, Brian, that's how somebody who spends all day teaching people how to listen starts off. Nothing obvious or nothing overt. Um, Just, I guess, my genuine curiosity has helped me along the way. Wow, that is a fantastic story. So can you teach me and our audience how to listen? Well, Well, here's a couple of interesting things to think about, Brian. We got taught math at school. We got taught our language at school. We probably got taught some science at school. And I'm sure in America, it's a much more advanced education system than Australia. You guys probably had people who taught you how to listen, right? No. At least, hey. I, at least I never did. 
and no matter where I have these interviews, whether it's in Canada or whether it's in the UK or whether it's in Germany or did one recently in the Netherlands or did one in Sweden, did one in China, the answer is the same no matter which country you go to around the world. Nobody has uh, had a listening teacher. If communication is 50% listening and 50% speaking, why wouldn't we be taught how to listen? So the first thing to know about listening is we all think we're good at it. Three statistics that make me laugh all the time, Brian. 86% of people think they're above average IQ. 82% of people think they're above average drivers. And 83% of people think they're above average listeners. So we have a problem. We have an awareness problem. Most people don't know what good listening is most of us can see in color but we really listen in black and white we listen in two dimensions at best we listen to what people say and occasionally their body language or what they're showing us from their energy but there's five levels of listening and most of us are only conscious of one that's using our ears to hear the conversation. There was a magnificent movement created in the 80s, Brian. You may be familiar with this. It was called the active listening movement. And they did a great job of highlighting the lack of listening, particularly in the workplace. The active listening movement did a great job of teaching people how to listen at level two and level three. But the biggest challenge all of us have with our listening, and it's happening to you right now while you're listening to this podcast between Brian and Oscar, you're distracted. You're chopping up some vegetables for dinner. You're driving in the car and you're commuting. You might be on a plane or you might be jogging or you might be doing some chores, but you're distracted. And I'd love this to be put on my tombstone, Brian. It's the 125-400 rule. We can speak at about 125 words a minute or 150 if you're a quick talker and if you're auctioning cattle, maybe 200 words a minute. <laughs> but we can listen at 400 words a minute. So we're programmed to be distracted and we fill in the gaps. For a lot of us, we might fill in the gaps with solutions. We kind of giggle and go, oh, you think that's your problem? I've already solved that problem and I'm thinking of three other problems you haven't thought about. Some of us just drift away. Some of us think about what we're going to do on the weekend or our next vacation. Or some of us will just interrupt because we, we know where they're going and we want to make the point quicker. So if you understand we speak at 125 words a minute, yet we can listen at 400 words a minute, the most important person you need to listen to first is you, not the speaker, but yourself. Interesting. So how do you then take it to the next level? Well, most of us, and we've got some research, we've interviewed people in our database, 1,400 people over the last three years, every year to track their listening progress. Most people are stuck at level one listening. They're not listening to themselves. They turn up to a conversation with their own radio station playing because they're distracted by the last meeting, Brian, they're distracted by the next meeting, or worse still, and most typically, they're distracted by their electronic devices, their mobile phone, their laptop, their iPad. Anything that dings and vibrates will distract you. So 
three tips I'd provide for everybody if you want to listen to yourself at level one and be available to the other person to listen. Um, and here's a graduating scale, Brian. I know some people pretty addicted to their mobile phones or their cell phones. So let's think about this. Tip number one, if you want to go cold turkey, switch your phone off and put it in your bag. Now, for most of us, you won't do it. So you can put your phone into flight mode. Most of us won't do that. Put your phone into silent mode. Most of us won't do that. Switch off your notifications on non-essential apps. That's the place where most of us can start. Mm. And what we've known in the database of people that we're researching is no matter how they go and engage with that device, whether it's a laptop that's got email buzzing or anything like that, if they switch the notifications off, their ability to be present in the conversation doubles immediately. And there's some great books that are being written right now that talk about the importance of knowing that you're distracted. So for most of us, if we just switched our phones into flight mode, did the same with our laptops and our iPads, we'd increase our listening capability by 50%. The other two tips are really simple. And they're easy to practice. I have a glass of water right next to me during this interview because a hydrated brain is a listening brain. The brain consumes 26% of the body's blood sugars, yet it's only 5% of its body mass. That's really hungry. Most people in the Western world walk around dehydrated because you might drink coffee or you might drink a lot of coffee or you might not drink water at all. Whenever you're going to a meeting now, take a glass of water with you and take a glass of water for anybody else you're meeting with as well. And then the final tip, Brian, the deeper you breathe, the deeper you listen, more oxygen you can get through your system, the more present you'll be. So I'm not saying go into the corner and do a yoga pose or breathe like somebody who's hyperventilating. It's simply breathe in through your nose all the way down the back of your throat to your lungs and down to your diaphragm and then back up. How's this play out for me? When I go and visit a client, the minute I cross the lobby, my phone goes into my bag. The minute I get into the lift, I take three deep breaths and trust me, nobody realizes I'm doing it in the lift, Brian. And then when I go to reception, they might offer me a refreshment. I always ask for water and then water for the people who are present in that conversation as well. So that's level one, deconstructed with three really simple tips. I love those. Very helpful. Now, I'd like to ask an application question, and maybe I could use myself, especially in this forum. So you do a lot of podcast interviews. I do a lot from this end and some interviews on the receiving end as well. And listening can be a challenge here because... I'm listening to, in this case, Oscar, and trying to take in 100%, but also trying to think of what is the next logical place to go. And you are answering questions and maybe anticipating the next one. Now, people out there might not be doing podcast interviews, but they are in meetings. They are in conversations with their bosses or the people that work with them where they have to be able to communicate really effectively. So I guess what I'm getting at is, apart from the tactics, what's the psychological mindset we can use to trust ourselves that we can commit to fully listening without knowing where we're going next? 
for a lot of us, we focus on what we're saying rather than how it's said. So for you right now, Brian, I'm visualizing you've got a screen maybe with some dials and some sound levels up there, and you're kind of making sure that bit works and making sure we've got a great recording for, for those who are going to listen. I think the first thing I'd ask you to in, explore, it's an invitation, rather than thinking about what's the next question I should ask, channel the audience and think about what's the next question the audience would want to know rather than the conversation we're having. Too many of us are listening in isolation and only think about what it means in terms of the dialogue between you and I. So the one thing I'd love you to do is channel that very special person we talked about that person you think about who listens to this podcast and ask yourself the question, what would they ask? Right. Yes, we did talk about our listener advertise before we jumped on. So that's a great way to think about it. So thinking about that right now, what would she be asking? She would want to know how she could take this and use these skills to be more effective in her work and to get ahead and to serve her employer and her customers better. Mm. So we would, when we think about that, let's go a bit further for her. And two things I would say consistently, um, leaders, whether that's actually your title or not, anybody who has influence is a leader. And for her, I would say this, Listen carefully for what's not said. The opposite rule applies. If I was to have something tattooed to my tombstone, it would be the 125-400 rule. If I was to have something tattooed to the inside of my coffin, it would be the 125-900 rule. That means I can speak at 125 words a minute, but I can think at 900 words a minute. So Brian, in my brain right now, there are so many things going on that I wanna tell this person, but I've got a one in nine chance that what I'm thinking is what I'm saying. That's about 11%. At my stage of life, Brian, if I went to a doctor, which I do regularly at the moment, um, if I went to the doctor and the doctor said, good news, Oscar, you've got an 11% chance of surviving this surgery or treatment, I'd be asking for a second opinion. Yet most of us accept the very first thing somebody says on a really complex topic and assume that's what they mean. And if you want to take an 11% chance in your workplace with your team, with your customers, good luck to you, all power to you. But to increase your odds, here's a couple of phrases that are really simple that you could ask and will become revolutionary. You could ask, tell me more about that. You could ask, I'm curious what else you're thinking about on this topic. You could ask, what else? Those three, those three phrases will prompt really quickly the person who's speaking to do a couple of things, Brian, and you will notice this yourself in your work. They'll take a deep breath in and they'll say words like, and listen for these code words. Well, actually, or they'll say, you know what's really important that we should have talked about that we haven't? Now that I think about it a little longer, we've missed probably the most significant thing. 
And yet most of us only ask that question, if at all, at the end of the meeting where we're walking away to the next conversation. The 125-900 rule untaps what's unsaid, Brian, and will help anybody who leads to do something really powerful to tap into what people mean rather than what they say the first time. That is so intriguing. So what else? I always love it when the hosts pay attention to what I just said. So the what else? <laughs> plays out. A lot of the context we've talked about so far, Brian, is one-on-one, you know, as you visualize the kinds of conversations I've been talking about one-on-one. What else for leaders is if you lead a team meeting, a project meeting, a meeting where there's more than one person in the room, the what else is always this. Are we listening to everybody in the room? Are we only listening to the people who have a strong opinion? Three years ago, I was facilitating a workshop on behalf of a technology organization. Uh, There were 11 people in the room. It was about 10 minutes to noon and lunch was scheduled for noon. And we just completed an exercise or at least the CEO thought we'd completed an exercise where I'd asked everybody around the room, describe the organization as it is right now as an animal. And they all said, an eagle, an osprey, uh, a a sea eagle, all very fast-moving birds of prey. And we'd got to about five to noon. There was one person who hadn't spoken, Eileen. Eileen was in the corner. She was a card-carrying member of the introvert community, and you always know who they are because when you say, put your hand up if you're an introvert, they won't put their hand up. They're so <laughs> introvert, right? Right. And I didn't say anything to her. I merely gestured to her with my hand, and I just put my hand out and towards her and just leant in. I didn't say, what do you think? And out of the corner of my eye, I caught the CEO looking at me. And if it was a comic movie, his laser eyes would have zapped my head and blown it away because he wanted lunch. And it's like, why do we need to get everybody's opinion? Now, Eileen said something really powerful in that moment. She said, I thought it was obvious. I thought we were all snakes. Wow. Now, what's going through your head, Brian? What's the snake characteristics that are going through your head? A little duplicitous, a little mm-hmm. dangerous, maybe mm-hmm. can't, be, can't be trusted. Yeah. And in the West, that's really common. But what you don't know about Eileen is she's from the East. She's from China. And in her approach, she said, it's really obvious to me that when we've been growing really fast, so the background to this story was they were growing really fast and then all of a sudden their growth had slowed down. Eileen said, we've forgotten to shed our skin every season for our customers. We were always adapting to what the customer needed and like a snake, we were sensing ahead of where they were. Well, the mood changed in the room immediately. The dialogue completely shifted. The center of gravity moved to Eileen and people asked her to talk about it more. 
And the CEO had forgotten about lunch and it was quarter past 12 and the team had decided that all their product names would be codenamed about different snakes. Snake beanie toys were made and snakes became a little story that they would tell to their customers that we always anticipate like a snake, we sense ahead for you and every season we'll shed our skin to be what you need us to be. Now, if we didn't ask Eileen for her opinion and we went to lunch, we all thought we were a bunch of eagles and all we would have done was had the same result. For many of us, we don't ask the Eileens of the world. We just think they're a little too quiet and they don't have anything to say. Now, I never asked her to say anything. I simply gestured with my hand stretched out in an open palm and she offered but most of us think we even have to speak to get that from people. So the what else, Brian, is are you listening to all the opinions in the room? And sometimes we're not even listening to the opinions outside the room, whether they're customers, whether they're suppliers, whether they're regulators, and that has a huge cost as well. That is so valuable. Thank you for sharing that story. And as someone who's done a fair share of corporate training and facilitation, if you can get a group of people to postpone lunch, you have done something very impressive. <laughs> well, it was their choice. I offered them at noon to go to lunch and they wanted to continue. So I think sometimes it's uh, if, if we're there to serve the group and our attention is out of the group, um, that's great. If we've got time, I've got another story that kind of brings this to life. We do. So I was at one of these events where I was I was talking to 30, no, it must have been 80 people managers in this organization because they had about 500 staff members and it was a pharmaceutical company was invited to speak to them. It was a really narrow room. Um, it wasn't kind of set up ideally for speaking from a stage and normally it's a little bit wider and, and people were kind of coming in late and you could like, the tension in this room, Brian, was dripping like mildew from, from the air conditioning system. They just Have you ever been in a place where you just know something's not quite right? Yes. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. So 20 minutes in, I'm kind of sensing everything I'm talking about, deep listening, is completely washing over the top of their heads. As like, you know, I may as well have been a game show host for the kind of impact I was having for them. So I turned to my host, who was the CEO. He was off stage to my left. And I just turned to him and I said, with your permission, can I try something different? And he said, do I have a choice? And I said, yeah, yeah, I can stay on script, but I just sense there's something happening in this room that's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. And he, he kind of just went, well, go ahead then. And all that was going through my head, Brian, is, oh, well, I hope I get paid <laughs> for this <laughs> engagement. Anyway, I said, if you'd humor me, just please turn to the person next to you right now in this organization for this time right now what movie's going on here and the room exploded into laughter and people were chatting and my host came up to me on stage he asked me to switch my microphone off and basically said what the hell are you doing wow and i said i can feel and sense the mood in this room i'm not sure if you can 
but nobody's paying attention to me right now. And he goes, well, that might have something to do with the way you're speaking. And I went, yeah, it could be. But if you just allow me to bring the room back, I think there's something we all need to hear. And he said, hurry up. <laughs> and I was like, I'm definitely not getting paid. <laughs> and he sat, he sat back down in the seat. And I eventually the energy in the room settled down and people came back with the movie names and the movie names were completely unexpected for me, Brian. The movie names were Die Hard and Towering Inferno and Titanic and you name the air crash movie. They were all disaster movies. But the minute people would say it, everybody would laugh. So they said Die Hard and the room bursts out into laughter and then somebody else says Titanic and the room continues to burst into laughter. So the tension's completely gone in the room. And then my host steps up on stage, takes my microphone off me and gestures to me to sit down. And what happened next really taught me a valuable lesson the CEO stood up in front of the room and said, thank you, Oscar. You heard something in 20 minutes I've been struggling to hear in three months. Wow. He turned then to the room and said, I apologize. I don't want anybody to come to work thinking their work is a disaster. I need your help. And I think in our remaining time, if you're open to it, I'm going to invite Oscar to help us figure out how to get out of this disaster. He gestures for me to come back up on stage. He hands me back the mic and I simply say to the room, who are we listening to? Discuss that with your buddy next to you. And they all came back with the same answer. We weren't speaking to the production staff. Now, the background behind this, I didn't know any of this. I turn up to speak about listening. What had happened for the last three months, there were millions and millions and millions of dollars of stock held up in quality assurance because there was some impurity in the system. And despite the fact they had chemical engineers with PhDs and Six Sigma methodologies and fault-finding methodologies, you know the people they hadn't spoken to, Brian? They hadn't spoken to people on the production line. In the next three days, they went and spoke to the people on the production line. And within three days, there was one person on the production line, a very seasoned worker, 35 years, simply pointed to a pipe and said, that's your problem. And they were right. It was their problem. And something that they'd taken three months and hadn't solved and cost them millions and millions of dollars, simply by sensing the energy in the room and asking people, who haven't you listened to? And giving them the permission to tell the CEO the truth, where it's a disaster boss, um, all of a sudden that permission slipped to help him listen, changed. And more importantly for them, they, they, they were manufacturing pharmaceuticals. So it really matters that quality is right. Otherwise, patients are at risk. So sometimes you just don't know if you pay attention and listen what you can really unlock. So I guess the takeaway from that story, which is amazing, is listen to everybody. And beyond. You know, in that case, the people they weren't listening to was the people who weren't even in the room. None of those people were in any of the problem-solving discussions that they had. 
they all had very highbrow and highly uh, sophisticated, highly credentialed PhDs solving this problem. They'd had people from global offices coming in to solve the problem. But sometimes, just ask everybody. You'll be surprised, but most people are ignored. You know, people don't leave organisations, they leave managers. And the number one reason why people leave their managers is because they don't feel heard. Well, you have shared some extremely valuable lessons with us and the tips. Thank you so much for that. If people want to learn more, for instance, about the five levels of listening, where can they do that? If you visit listeningmyths.com, listeningmyths.com, you can download the five myths of listening, but more importantly, what to do about it. And we'll give you five really simple tips that you can apply immediately, whether you're trying to listen to your partner at home, whether you're trying to get your children to listen, or whether you're trying to listen in the workplace. And that's got a series of um, very simple tips that can point you to podcasts and videos and other resources, as well as books and playing cards and jigsaw puzzles if you're more hands-on in your learning style, Brian. And if people would like to connect with you online, is that Listening Myths website the best spot to do it or should they go somewhere else? Yeah, no, the best, the number one place to go, if you go to listeningmyths.com, um, that will be the gateway for all those kinds of things. And, um, yeah, some people, if they want to connect on LinkedIn or Twitter, that's great too. Um, I, I'm the only Oscar Trimboli on the internet that I've seen, so uh, that shouldn't be too hard to find me. Well, I want to thank you, Oscar, for taking the time, for being so generous with your knowledge and teaching us all a little bit more about listening. Brian, thanks for listening.